The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's your time! From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our city. Good morning, Boston. What's happening? This is Dave. Just a guy named Dave, just a guy doing a podcast over here in Westwood at Pod 617 Studios, by the way. If you'd like your own podcast, that's what we do here. We produce podcasts. We could make you the next podcast star. It sounds like a reality show, doesn't it? Emily Smithley, my guest, I, I query, I pose that query to you. Doesn't it sound like a reality show, the next big podcast star? It, it does. I'm not sure I'd watch it. No, well, that's. I was just thinking that as a matter of fact. It's, it, it, I, I have a feeling it's going to be one of these shows that comes along and it's like, nah, we don't need that. We don't need that. And it would be just like TV producers to make a TV show out of a podcast, which kind of, it, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, if you will. At any rate, uh, Emily Smith, attorney Emily Smith Lee is here with me in studio. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to tell you all about Emily in one moment, but just to finish the thought, if you are interested in your own podcast, go to pod617.com. Before you know it, you could be visiting our Westwood studios, just like Emily is right now. Do you like what we've done with the place? We just spiffed it up a little bit. Paint job, you know. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I should also note that uh, we are grateful to our good friends at United States Postal Service, our sponsor for the show, the second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today. USPS.com slash careers. The United States Postal Service deliver for the nation. I think I might put um, like my country tis of, le- tis of the music or God bless America or something under that next time I read that because my heart sort of swells with a little bit of pride. I'm not, uh, I'm not typically the flag waving type. You might know that about me. I was raised by uh, a bunch of cynics and skeptics, and you know, <laughs> but um, but U.S. Postal Service, we like them. So, Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, in full disclosure, your husband w- w- was uh, Bob was on the show uh, a couple times already. Yes, he's an overachiever. He is. He is. If you could pull the microphone a little closer oh. to you, so we want your your mellifluous tones to come through, uh, even even in more uh, powerful fashion than than uh, Bob's, because um, uh, you know the uh, people are still talking about his visit to uh, the Boston podcast. Of course, at least in his mind, I think. He's still talking about it. He's still talking about it. <laughs> and we'll have him back in um, because he's a wealth of knowledge and just all kinds of uh, weird information. I don't, I don't know what it's like to live with a gentleman like that, but it must be, um, it must be a thrill a minute. You could put Sometimes. it that way. <laughs> you could put it that way. So to give us a little idea of what you do, because what we're, we're going to talk about, we've got a few things to, to get to on the show today. Coming up um, later, we're going to talk about why we binge TV like we binge, and we're going to focus on a particular show that uh, Emily and I both saw and that we're looking forward to to binging when season two comes out. That's what we call a teaser in the podcast business right there. But before we get there, Emily's also going to tell us um, some things that uh, companies may mess up when it comes to employment law risk. And um, so if you own a business, you're, you're uh, connected to a business, you work for a business, um, or you just like walking around saying, hey, that's none of your business. I mean, any of these things, 
this is going to be interesting to you. Emily's an employment lawyer. She's at um, SLN Law. That's your own practice, is that right? That's my own firm. Yeah. Used to be with um, firms downtown, and you you said goodbye to the that uh, version of the rat race, I guess. Yep. Um, yeah. So I worked for 13 years downtown at McDermott, Will & Emery. Good firm, right? Great firm. Yeah. A uh, recession happened in 2009. and I remember it. Many of us were invited to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that caught on uh, rather rapidly around that time. Yeah. It did. So I hung out my shingle in Sharon. Good for you. You know, I like to say the first best thing McDermott did for me was hire me, and the second best thing was fire me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're in Sharon Center, so I'm a Sharon person, you're a Sharon person. Um, and it, what, what's it like practicing in those friendly confines? It must be just a different really whole day. It's a whole kind of thing for you because for those that don't know, Sharon is only maybe uh, like 18 miles from Boston or 20 miles from Boston or something, but it takes, you know, uh, a good 110 minutes to get there on most, on most days. You might make it in an hour if, if you're lucky. This is much different for you. It is. Some days the traffic light is red <laughs> and it really offends me. Um, so the commute, you know, literally gave me the equivalent of a part-time job back yeah you know mm -hmm. um practicing in a small town it's it's different in mostly wonderful ways yeah you know my clients are smaller usually individuals small businesses it can get a little challenging to remember where all the lines are drawn right because it's a small town yeah um i remember i used to go to a, a therapist this guy named herb he has since passed away but years ago um my wife at the time and this th and we, we went to this therapist and he was great just a super warm guy but then i would see him like at um you know the chinese restaurant and i i always thought it was weird like am i supposed to say hi am i not supposed to say hi like it, he was very cool about it he knew how to handle it but he it, it, but similar not quite the same thing i mean as a therapist i think his his job is to make sure you know, he doesn't go up to me and say, hey, how is everything? Are you okay? <laughs> you know, and then it was like, oh, Dave, seeing a therapist, huh? Um, but you deal with some, you know, you deal with sensitive stuff. You, you have client confidentiality. And so a lot of people in town, you have uh, dual uh, relationships with them or whatever, right? Right, and I have to remember. Yeah. Do I know <laughs> these people from my kid's school? Do I know them as a client? Or just from or a political campaign. local politics. So uh, Emily was recently um, voted to the Sharon Board of Selectmen. Congratulations. Thank That's you. a big deal in Sharon. And I know because I was the moderator for six years, as you know, you were on the school committee. Um, you were one of the very, very wise, welcoming people on the school committee. And I'll say it on this podcast. I, I think I've said it to you m many times in person, but... We were very grateful. The the special needs community was very grateful when you. I don't. You, you dealt with so many things. I. You may remember. You may not remember. You really supported the special needs parents when the the town was um, making a move to move away from the New England Center for Children as a consultant. I'm getting a little in the weeds here for the average listener, but let's just say Emily and your colleague on the panel at the time, uh, Mitch Blaustein, were just awesome. And everybody else wasn't so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That must have. That, um, what, what was it like on the school on the school committee? I mean, interesting issues, right? Very interesting issues. Um, in some ways, a harder job than selectmen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Sharon School Committee. Crazy parents. Is intense. Yeah. The Sharon 
parent community yeah. is intense. Um, <laughs> which, but it makes sense. You know, most people yep. move there for the schools. It's a very defining part of the town. Was it? Um, let me rephrase, counselor. Is it a different time now, in your opinion? Because we talk about how parents are helicopter parents now, and parents are just way too involved with their their kids business you know every family's different of course but you know i do remember the days when you know you got home from school three o'clock whatever it was you got on your bike and you rode off and your parents didn't necessarily know where you were and that that doesn't happen as much for sure are parents too involved now did you witness that or I don't think so. Yeah. So that's not how I raised my kids. Okay. You <laughs> they mean, go off into the woods. They, they do go off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can um, see that. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, when I see people are intense, they just care a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they're involved, I think, at a good level and a healthy level. Mm-hmm. Um, when things change in the school system, it affects their kids. I can't judge other people's parenting. That's a good point. Um, I have... Uh, my friend Eddie coming in to record a podcast later. He's on pod617.com with a very funny podcast and informative called Are You Not Entertained? But he talks about how he, he when he, he adores his kids. And so I took my kids to see this movie, he'll say. And I say, yeah, that's right. I took them to see that movie. You know what? Parent your own damn kids. Leave me alone. <laughs> and uh, there's something to that. That's a, that's a dangerous um area to tread upon if you're you're saying oh how terrible it is that he does this or they do that because you don't know you don't know um so most of your clients are businesses um nope it's nope, it's a mix okay. we do a lot of employer employee side plaintiffs work okay negotiating severance navigating non-competes okay but also employer side so as um, someone who has followed us in the past, and I used to be, you know, I am a member of the bar, I used to be with Lawyers Weekly, but the, the whole idea of non-compete has always been uh, a tricky one, I think, because, you know, it, it, it is something that if you're a professional, it, it's the type of thing that you don't think will come up in your life, and then all of a sudden it's coming up. If you have clients, if you work for someone and you have clients, this could come up, right, no matter what you do. And typically, the you know it, it's a it's a balancing act, right? So the company wants to say, if you come here and you make use of all of our resources and you use our company name, you bring in the clients. We we can't have you leave like at the drop of a hat and then open your own shop and just rob all that business that we built together. On the other hand, you know, if the person wants to leave, it's a free country, as they say, um, <laughs> and we can debate that, I guess. But um, uh, you have to let me make a living. So as I understand it now, the law keeps um, you. You correct me. You're the expert. But it, the, from listening to news reports and everything, the law keeps creeping more and more towards non competes are rarely going to be enforced. Is that really what's going on, or not so much? Yeah. So here in Massachusetts, after years and years and years of talking about passing a non compete statute, they finally did. Mm-hmm. last summer, and it's kind of a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that used to really rub people the wrong way is if you were laid off, mm-hmm. if you were fired without a reason, they could still hold you to the non-compete. Okay. So then you have this, not the scenario you're describing where right. I want to leave with all my clients like a Pied Piper, right. but you put me out on the street. Yeah, it wasn't my, wasn't my idea to leave. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, so no longer... Mm-hmm. And by the way, this only applies to non-competes. 
signed after October 1st of okay. last year. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people out there still under the old rules. Right. Um, under the new rules, though, if you lay somebody off without cause, you can't enforce the non-compete. Mm-hmm. The other piece that's a real game changer is you got to pay people. Mm-hmm. You got to pay them 50% of their salary for the non-compete period. So for the non-compete period, wait, you're talking about you got to pay the person after they no longer work? So You got it. So I fire you, but I still have to pay you if I'm going to hold you to this non-compete? Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so that's, and what's the thinking there? Is it just that, um, you know, the the is it the balance of power thing that really the, tell me about that. So, you know. I'm a consumer of the new law. I wasn't involved in its passage, but right. my interpretation, <clears throat> in part, it's a balance of power. In part, it's a fairness issue. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, you kick somebody to the curb. They can't make a living. I think it also will curb some of the enthusiasm of companies to enforce them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, it doesn't. You're a company, you want to scare the living daylights. Sorry, you said curb your enthusiasm, oh. and so I'm contractually obligated to pay the... Sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't joke. That's okay. Go ahead. Um, where <laughs> Look was at what I? I did. Where was I? You, uh, you were talking about... There we go. Curbing. Sorry, the, it, it went in doubt, just you played the thing. So, before this... Yes. You're a company, you want to scare the living daylights out of your former employee. It doesn't cost you much mm-hmm. to write a nasty letter and threaten to sue them. Oh, see. Right. If you know that that has a price tag, mm-hmm. you may stop and think a little more carefully. Right. Do I really have a problem? Do I really have something I need to protect? Yep. The other game changer mm-hmm. is if you, this is going to sound really wonky, but it actually matters. If you're not exempt from overtime, Mm-hmm. Meaning if you're an hourly worker, not a manager, not a learned professional, mm-hmm. no non-competes. No non-competes allowed at all? Correct. So say that again because I spaced out for a minute. Sure. What categories fall into that? So anybody who's not exempt from overtime, mm-hmm. meaning anybody who's got to get paid time and a half as a benchmark. So that is anybody who's an hourly worker. Anybody who's neither a manager, executive, what's called a bona fide administrative employee, but that's way too in the weeds, or a learned professional. Your garden variety mid to low level workers can no longer be held to non-competes. Thank you. Emily just was able to deliver that information while I turned on the air conditioner here because it's getting hot, and then I almost knocked my computer over. So well done in keeping keeping, uh, control of the situation, Emily. I appreciate it. (laughs) I'm going to go out and, and uh, get a cup of coffee. Can you just do the show for the next 20 minutes? <coughs> yeah, sure. No. Uh, I'm not going to be responsible for what I say. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. That could be the old, you know, that old movie uh, network where the crazy guy, Howard Beale, um, not that you're crazy, Emily, but um, <clears throat> when he, uh, you ever see that movie, Network? I did, but so long so ago. So long ago, yeah. I rewatched it recently. It is amazingly, this is apropos of nothing, of course, but it is amazingly prescient and that movie came out in 77 something like that i'm gonna guess uh and you know it's about for those haven't seen it it's about a broadcaster uh you know sort of old school ted koppel dan dan rather style you know fictional guy in the movie 
and he's about to be laid off, I believe. And on his last broadcast, he just kind of decides he's going ballistic, and he says basically like everything's bullshit, and and then eventually gets to this place where he encourages everyone to go to the window and say, "I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore." That's where that comes from. And uh, he, he, of course, as as you might imagine in the story, he becomes a hit. Then so now they can't fire him, and they start developing these reality style shows around like you know his rants and then some other ideas they get that that just um that just demonstrate the fact that the network has decided anything that garners ratings any explosive thing that garners ratings this was in the 70s it 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 holds true uh today if you ever click on the tv you might notice such things uh what's that maybe maybe a thing or two yeah uh we are going to continuing to talk with Emily. I want to talk to you about this book you have coming out, which sounds wicked impressive and exciting, and I'm jealous because I want to write a book. I've never been able to do it. We're going to talk about that, and I, as, as I promised, we're going to talk about binging TV and the show that you absolutely should be seeing. Before we do that, I need to tell you about our sponsor, the U.S. Postal Service. <clears throat> Pardon me, U.S. Postal Service. I want to make sure my voice is completely clear when I let people know that you're the second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today usps.com slash careers from mail carriers to corporate management. The USPS works together to provide efficient, affordable service to the American public. The workers are the backbone of its service, and the USPS wants to develop and advance careers so its development programs train and prepare employees for promotions and growth in a variety of business areas. Everything you need to know is at the website, usps.com slash careers. And listen to this part, Emily Smithley. It is the policy of the Postal Service to provide equal employment opportunity and prevent employment discrimination. Huzzah for that, right? Hello. Yes, the Postal Service seeks to attract and retain a diverse workforce in which employees respect and value each other's differences and work to promote collaboration, flexibility, and fairness so that all employees are able to participate and contribute to their full potential applied today. The website, once again, usps.com slash careers. The United States Postal Service deliver for the nation. It's it, employment law must be uh, uh, interesting and dynamic place to live in the legal world because most people realize that a lot of lawyers deal in the mundane and and the uh, hyper technical. That stereotype sadly is true in some cases, right? But <coughs> wow, frog in my throat today. Not a good condition for a podcaster to have. But like we just talked about the non compete. That's one thing, but. Um, Tell me about what you've witnessed and what your world is like when it comes to discrimination law, uh, sexual harassment law. I mean, the Me Me Too movement, the echoes of that, and then, um, you know, people knowing their rights a little better, employers maybe scared a little bit more. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Tell me about that. It doesn't always change behavior. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's not dry in the real life. Um, If you think about it, your job is where you spend most of your time. Mm -hmm. It's where you get most of your self-worth for the businesses. That's where they spend most of their money. So when it goes wrong, it's yeah. pretty intense. Yeah. You know, it's pretty intense on both sides, I would say. Um, there was a lot of questions wrapped up in that. Yeah. So, so just, tell me, just tell me about the culture. Has is, is the law, have things changed for the better? Or is it is it possible that things have kind of gone too far, so to speak, and that employers are just too gun shy, too do anything, to have a holiday party, to send out a holiday card, to uh, do an employee of the month program because they're afraid they might, 
you know, um, pick too many men instead of women or whatever? I have not seen that. No. Okay. I have not seen that. Um, you know, in some quarters, I think people have gotten appropriately more careful. Mm. Others didn't get the memo. Still, you think? <laughs> Absolutely. So you still hear the, the inappropriate behavior and such? Oh, yeah. We still not only hear it, we still have people calling. It's still happening. Wow. Yes. It's amazing, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> do, do these people pay attention? Uh, I can remember... Um, you think it doesn't happen, right? You think most people are on the up and up. Most people would never, you know, even go so far as to call female employees sweetie or tootsie or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, that's, uh, it's funny because the, the reason why that movie with Dustin Hoffman was called Tootsie was for that very reason. You know, it was, when you think about it, that movie was kind of ahead of its time too, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he, the Dabney Coleman character was the asshole sexist boss and he used to call all the women sweetie and tootsie and all that. Uh, I've seen it. Have you Have you seen it? Uh, you don't have to name names, of course. But yeah, no. I mean, look, we have open cases right now mm-hmm. for people who've been sexually assaulted at work, mm-hmm. physically, literally, for people who have been propositioned directly and mm-hmm. then retaliated against for pushing back. Yeah. Um, it's this is not yesterday's news. Yeah. You know, it's. I think a lot of us watch the Me Too movement, thinking not holy cow, this is happening, yep. but somebody's finally noticing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it, it's, there's still the, the old school, there's still these pockets of kind of old school business where, I don't know, I think maybe people get defiant and people think, um, yeah, yeah, me too, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'm never going to squeeze anybody's butt. But th- the same person, the same manager might be heard saying, well, you know, when we hire somebody for that that new assistant, you know, everyone has to agree it should be a male because we want that strong male voice on the phone. Mm-hmm. Like I actually, I actually, that happened in a, a place where I used to work. I I, <laughs> I literally heard that. And I was like, huh, what? <laughs> you know? Wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. And people don't. Uh, it, it's like they're operating in a different sort of universe. Well, to put it in perspective, mm-hmm. I think people forget. Do you know how long sexual harassment has actually been against the law? So sexual harassment. So as a civil remedy, meaning how when you can sue Correct. for it. Okay, eh, I, I'll guess. Uh, uh, 1977. <laughs> I don't know. 1991. 1991. Wow, <laughs> is that right? So it's right. It so, was prior yeah. to, the, and it was um, kind of an offshoot of the Anita Hill. Hearings. Right. Okay. It yeah. was. There had been some cases trying to fit that into sex discrimination, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Uniform, it wasn't codified into statute until 1991. So we're still in early days mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, I remember when I got started writing for Lawyers Weekly in 1995. The It might have been even the first story I ever wrote was, oh man, I wish I could remember the name of the case. The plaintiff's lawyer was Harvey Schwartz. I remember him. And he had won a, um, a case at the Supreme Judicial Court. And it was going to make... It was going to make it easier to sue for sexual harassment in Massachusetts. And um, looking back on it, like, it's a, it was kind of like, to me, I was like this, you know, sort of cub reporter and I didn't know any better. But if I, I bet if I look back today, I would say, I wonder why they weren't allowed to sue for that in the first place. And I don't remember the technical aspects right. of the case, but you get it, right? So, so tell us about your book. So you wrote a book or you're writing a book. The book is about to come out. Tell us about the, uh, the book. Sure. So I, I have a book already. 
okay. called Rules of the Road, which is just kind of a really simple primer to employment laws. So we have the road theme. I like the I theme. like the names of your books. This is cool. I see where this is I see where this is headed. Yeah. I see which road we're headed down. <laughs> ah, good one. Uh, not really. It's early. So the the title is Uneven Lanes and this mm-hmm. is a book that's really specifically focused on women's issues in the workplace. Mm, cool. And sort of the um, it, it's part law and it's part sort of advocacy storytelling <laughs> oh, and, storytelling. and oh, great. practical advice because you know, I sort of look at this. My daughter just graduated from college. My legal hey, career. congratulations. Is, thank you. And my legal career is exactly the same age as my daughter. Okay. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, you know, so as I watch her sort of moving on to the next step, it really got me thinking and reflecting about my own journey. Mm, and yeah. so there's a lot of that kind of interspersed in the uneven, So uneven lanes, uh, meaning when you're a female, you're not operating in the same lane necessarily you're not operating in the same lane and you know when you see the uneven lane sign on a highway mm-hmm. it means you can change lanes <laughs> but it's going to be bumpy oh we've really know? thought this through that's uh, cool yeah so yep we're about 95 percent so, done with that that should be out within the next month cool we'll have you back when the when uh, maybe in the fall when you're when you're on the big book tour, Emily, I know. <laughs> so it's for it's not just for lawyers. It's not it's not just for uh, potential litigants. It's I take it it's for anybody. It's it's yeah. this one. My first book was really kind of agnostic as to whether it was for employees or businesses. Right. This is aiming straight at the individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, the women who are navigating their way through the various pitfalls of being a woman in the workplace. Some advice about what their legal protections are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so does the book, you talk about how it's sort of storytelling, it's sort of part and parcel of your journey. Yeah. Is the, do we end up at a, I don't want you to give away the whole book, right? No spoilers, but <laughs> but do we end up at a different place? Like, do you compare yesterday to today in terms of the law and how it is for women? Yes. Yes. And, you know, the short answer, spoiler alert. Yeah. Things have changed, but not so much. Not as much as you might think. Correct. Yeah. I remember thinking that back when I saw the movie Working Girl, of course, with um, Melanie Griffith, yep. Joan Cusack, Harrison Ford. Um, I watch a lot of movies. I'm like, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I remember when I was in college, I had to write a paper comparing Working Girl to its sort of quasi-predecessor two decades earlier or so called The Apartment. And uh, The Apartment was um, a comedy. Uh, Ray Walston was in it, I think. And I'm going to forget who the female lead was. Shame on me. But but it was... Oh, Shirley MacLaine, I think, was the female lead. So it was... Uh, and Jack Lemmon was in there. Okay, so it's all coming back to me now. I think that won an Academy Award, so I should know that even though it was before my time. But the whole point was that the reason why the movie, you didn't see The Apartment, did you? I okay. did not. Okay, so it's, uh, you know, it's an oldie. And the theme of the movie was there was, uh, Jack Lemmon had an apartment for circumstances I don't remember. In other words, he lived in a home with his wife, but he had this apartment that he kept in New York. And peop- and the men in his office used to go up, at, and and I remember Ray Walston called him Buddy Boy, coming up, hey, Buddy Boy. Does anybody have the apartment reserved for this Friday? I might like to go over there. I mean, there's someone special I'd like to bring over to the apartment. So it was this horrible thing where, like, all the men in the office were cheating on their wives and taking this woman, taking various women to. And if I'm not mistaken, Shirley MacLaine played, like, sort of a a strong-willed woman that was kind of going against the grain in this whole culture. Um, 
nevertheless, that sort of culture was the norm and was accepted. Now, you flash forward to the 80s, working girl, Melanie Griffith, um, you know, uh, former secretary eventually becomes... <laughs> it's funny about the movie is if you look back on it, or maybe even at the time we should have noticed, this big story of Triumph was really about this woman who rose from secretary to you know junior level entry level management position at a company right it's a now did you see that that movie yep, I don't mean to, okay absolutely. so and you remember at the end the re, she she raises her hands in the air or whatever she does she calls her friend and she's so excited just because she has an actual office and an actual desk and it's like oh look how far we've come well we haven't really come yeah. <laughs> that far and still i think to your point it, it's like when a woman is named ceo it's always, oh, the first woman CEO ever of so-and-so or, and I think, I'll ask you, is the goal to get to the point where we don't need to mention that the person is a woman? How about just that the person is a great choice or whatever? Yeah, that'd be a start. I mean, here's what has changed. The starting gates even. People come out of school, yeah. get the same entry-level jobs, you know, law school classes, 50-50. Yep. Entering classes, large law firms. Which is good, which 50, is no 50, small feat. Which is wonderful. Yeah. But you're still seeing the attrition over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to watch a movie about a secretary becoming a junior manager and be moved by that today. Right, right. Um, but in law firms, in businesses, there's very few at the top. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. It's not always... It's not always blatant discrimination. It's sometimes assumptions. It's sometimes how parenting falls differently on women at particular moments in their career. Um, and it's right now still, I think, there's kind of a mentorship gap mm -hmm. in most industries, professions, where there just really aren't the people, enough people who've made it to the top, yep. who are coaching and mentoring. Mm -hmm. younger women so women leave get fired decide this is not for them because they can't see themselves at the top mm -hmm. for the most part they do fine but you still have kind of an imbalance have you been able to mentor women over the course of your career absolutely something that was you a, enjoy it was a big part of the role I played in my old firm downtown mm -hmm. um, and certainly now that i run my own show I can do whatever I want of course <laughs> right but why I mean you I take it you take satisfaction out of it for all the reasons you should you know you're it's 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 there's nothing more invigorating than passing on I think people you know I, I just turned 50 last year <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> while I um, adjust my back because of all the pain <laughs> I'm suffering from um, and the older I get I realize that a lot of things in life are experiencing things vicariously is, is, is like an underrated th thing. Like I realize when you watch, for example, when you watch your children accomplish something, it's, it's somehow more fun than if you had done it on your own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you take pride in the fact that you've raised this, this, this creature, this individual, and you take pride that they get to be happy. You get to be happy for them. So it's kind of like double the happiness, which is, which is really great. And in, in, you know, it's it's not too much of a leap to say that's kind of what mentoring is, right? Yeah. Like you you you've learned these things over the course of career. You actually have the ability to pass them on, and it's in many ways sort of it doesn't cost anything, you know, to give advice. It doesn't cost anything for someone to, to listen to you and 
And um, why, so why do you think it doesn't happen more often? So I think part of it's just numbers. Yeah. You know, so, for example, I'll talk about a law firm because that's what I know. You know, yep. when I left the large firm downtown, we would have about 50% of the entering class female, about 25% of the junior partners mm-hmm. were female, and less than 10% at the equity level. Yeah. So there's just fewer people. And it's just, I take it it's some of that still sort of latent, it's become a quieter kind of discrimination to call a yep. spade a spade, right? I mean, it's it's one thing to, um, you know, entry level, you get, you know, if, if a law firm, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to welcome in, you know, a whole class of new first year associates, as many as like two dozen or something, well, for the super large firms anyways. But there you can count. There you can say, well, we've got 12, six men, six women, or, you know, eight, eight, eight men, five women. You know, we'll at least do that. You know, they know that they need to do that. But when it comes time to bump people up, and there are firms, right, that, that, that it's not like there's a law that says if you've got 38 partners, you know, half of them have to be women. No. So there are firms downtown that have 38 partners, and like 30 of them are men, yeah, right? Still. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do we do about it? Patience. <laughs> Patience, How about the Equal Rights Amendment? The equal that rights wouldn't amendment. hurt. Right? You know, a lot of this, though, there's some stuff that goes on that's not legal. Yeah. And there's remedies for that. You know, equal pay issues can be dealt with in the courts. Actual discrimination in mm. promotions can be dealt with in the courts. But it's, you know, discrimination ain't what it used to be. Yeah. It's kind of gone underground. Right. You know, nobody's going to say... We need male partners because clients will take them more seriously. Right. You know, nobody's going to say we need a male, you know, CEO because that's what the market wants. But there's things behind the scenes. There's assumptions that go into performance reviews. There's, you know, the time old thing where you might say about a guy, he's assertive, and about the woman doing the same thing, she's shrill or aggressive. Right. You know, yeah. that stuff's still out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can't you can't fire someone because they're a woman. You can't demote someone because they're a woman. You can't refuse them. You can't uh, base their pay on the fact that they're a woman. But but um, you know, companies are sm- well, some anyway are smart, and they know that you know if there's um, say there's a woman who several of the people on her staff have said, oh, she's bitchy, she's a pain in the ass, and. These are uh, horrible, horrible people saying these things. <laughs> and yet, um, if the company really did want to get rid of her, there would be a fairly easy way to do so. Just sim- simply document, you know, and, and you're not going to put it in those bigoted terms, but you're going to say the person didn't get along with coworkers. You're going to document it out, and then you can fire her. I mean, you can't, as long as you're not firing her for an improper reason. Yeah, I imagine it'd be very hard to, to prove a lot of these cases. This is your world, you can tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it depends. Now, if you found out that that person was fired, but the guy who routinely bit the head off of his secretary mm-hmm. did it with impunity and never got reprimanded, you could come back and say, look, that's pretext. You're right. treating different people differently right. based on your assumptions, which are based on gender, based on your stereotypes. But yes, it's hard. Most people don't write down their discriminatory reason. Yeah, they're smart enough not to do that, even if they're not terribly smart in general. And you know what? Not everybody even knows that mm. they're discriminating. Right. You know, it's not always a conscious act to have a different stereotype about somebody. Yeah. 
And that's really frustrating to be, if you're the victim of such a thing, it must be feel just kind of Kafka-esque because you know in your heart that there's a reason why they're doing it and there's just not much you can do about it. But um, but we have hope. We're not going to give up hope. Right, Emily Smithley? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so Uneven Lanes, we're going to have to have you back here and advertise sure. a book when it's, when it's available. I take it it will be available wherever fine books are sold, Amazon or something. That's Probably. the idea. We, had, we interviewed someone on a podcast once, I won't say whom, but talking about the person's book. And we said, all right, well, where can you buy the book? And she, uh, she said, um, I don't know, where you buy books, I guess. And we were like, <laughs> great. So I'm glad you came on the show to promote your book. Uh, so, and by the way, before I forget, so Emily Smith Lee is an awesome person, person you should know. SLNlaw.com is where you find out about her law firm. Can we give out your email address? You bet. All right. E. Smith Lee. E. Smith Lee. All typical spellings at SLNlaw.com. I always wonder what I have to spell for my listening audience and what I don't. If you ever watch the match game, the old game with Gene Rayburn and now with Alec Baldwin, it frustrates me to no end. And I got this from my mom. Thank you, mommy. Um, that people can't spell who was it uh joel McHale, who's a very funny uh comedian and actor sometimes he had to, he just he wrote down the word oh what was it <clears throat> um oh i don't know it was something like flare a lot of people don't know how to spell flare like to do something with flare is f-l-a-i-r and people write f-l-a-r-e and that drives me straight up the wall but this word that he misspelled was a four-letter word, and I can't remember what it was. It'll, it'll uh, come to me. And someone said to him, Joel, uh, spell much, you know? <laughs> Can I give one disclaimer about oh, that sure, email address? Is that not the uh, right one? Uh, no, 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 it's correct. I just want to caution people. Many, many people turn those letters around and try to oh. email to SNL Law. We are not Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> it will not get to us. SLNLaw.com. So I'll say it again. Yeah, that's... Um, <clears throat> When I order a pizza and I say my name is Yaz, Y-A-S, people always write down W-A-S. And it's been a mystery in my family for years. We've been trying to figure out why. And uh, the, the, the mystery may lay in the very word why that I just said. The word why is spelled W-H-Y. And we think when we say Y-A-S, for some reason people start writing the word why. Oh. Then they hear the A-S and they just add the A-S. It's the best we can figure, but it happens all the time. It's very strange. Unexplained. Well, we promised we were going to talk about binging TV shows, and Emily um, shared with me that she's a fan of the show, as I am. Russian Doll. Russian Doll, right? Russian yeah. Doll. So yeah. Russian Doll <clears throat> stars uh, Natasha Leone, whose name I always forget, so I just wrote it down here. She, You might remember her from Orange is the New Black. Were you a fan of, of that show? Big time. That was, that was um, uh, is that going to come back ever, you think? I don't know. I don't know. They've had like eight seasons of that. They've all been great. A friend of mine was on that show, my friend Jamie Denbo, who I still have yet to get on this podcast, but she played Ginsburg, the, the one sort of uh, Jewish character on the show oh, yeah, yeah. who had the little storyline where one of the African-American prisoners wanted to convert to Judaism. It was pretty funny. Uh, that, was, that was my friend. But Natasha Leone is, is, plays sort of the, um, uh, how would you describe her? She's got a lot of personality. She's very individualistic. She's a, a redhead, kind of big and brash. I don't, I don't remember what her character's name was, do you? Hmm. On Orange is the New Black? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, we don't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, she got this new show, um, Russian Doll. Well, it's not new anymore. I guess it came out at some point in 2018, I think. Tell us why you liked it, and then I'll 
tell everybody why you're right. So first, kind of the ultimate binge experience. You could knock it yeah. out in a weekend. Right. You know, they're short episodes. But it was just it was just so well done. You know, I don't want to say too much about what happens because yeah. if people haven't binged it yet, but this know, is one of these her character that, yeah. Nadia's just wonderful and flawed. Yeah, exactly. The we'll tell you what the premise is. I think this is a good one to mention. You know, this at this point, you know, the summer is people are looking for things to do over the the summer after you, you know, you're you're working off your sunburn and you're looking to binge something, you know, or maybe on a rainy day. But Russian Doll is a good one to consume because, it, like you say, Emily, um, I think like eight episodes. And it's a good one to binge because if you watch like uh, one episode and then you wait a couple weeks, you might need to go back and watch the first one because there's a pattern that emerges. And this is, I'm just telling you the premise. The premise is uh, that she dies, but sometimes she dies in mul- multiple times during the course of an episode or at the end of each yeah. day, at the end of each day she dies or something or, she, or whatever. She dies and then she immediately comes back to life in the same spot at the same party, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and it gets more complicated over time. Right. There's right. a lot of Nadia dying. Yeah. So that's the premise. So we're not giving anything away. So it's this kind of, it, it's, um, it, it borrows from Groundhog Day a little bit, but it's not a, it, it's not a comedy, even though there are, com- there are definitely comedic moments. It, it kind of bends your mind a little bit. It makes you think about your very existence. And, you know, she's, she is obviously trying to find a way out of this Twilight Zone experience that she's having. And it's very well done. And she... Go ahead, Emily. You were going to say... Yeah, and I've heard that they're actually going to do a season two. Right. That's why you brought it up. perplexes me because I I don't know where they go with it after yeah. the end of the season, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And again, no spoilers, but if you if you have seen season one, that's great news that season two is coming up. We uh, I just noticed that uh, Natasha was on uh, Seth Meyers' show a couple months back, and she was talking about the show, and we were just talking about binging, and she's talking about binging, so listen to this. I should note that uh, if you never made another episode of Russian Doll, you would be in a great situation of having created this perfectly formed thing, uh, but people are asking uh, you uh, a lot, I would assume, are you going to make more? Yes. And, and is it exhausting that you finally got this product you made out and immediately people are like, so? This is what's so helpful about the experience of Netflix. And I'm so grateful that I had, you know, these seven years we just finished, uh, you know, Orange is the New Black. It's very heavy, yeah. very heavy scene. And, um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, seven years it's, it's, you know, we're very tight. So, um, but what I learned from that show, thankfully, is, you know, all year, all year, everybody waits uh, for the show to come out. It's a 13-hour show. They consume it in under 30 minutes flat. I don't know how they do it. That's where I learned about the space-time continuum yeah. I, I use so effectively in Russian Doll was in the way that these people break time on Netflix. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm used to it. You know what yeah. I mean? This idea of, like, uh, I like it, give me more. It's a, it's a compliment. And, but, you know, it's important for us to remember, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, like Janis Joplin said, we've only got one day, man, uh, et cetera. So take it easy. Take it easy. I'm not sure what you meant by that. <laughs> so, uh, not either, but I, I just love listening to her talk. Isn't she great? She couldn't be more Br- Brooklyn, right? I take it she's from yeah. Brooklyn, or obviously from New York. I, I'm, I'm hearing tone notes of Brooklyn in there. And, so far, the characters that well, the the two shows that we've mentioned so far that she's been on, same accent, right? She's 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 it's like she's only got one direction. It's Brooklyn all the way. 
Um, so Russian Doll, if you haven't watched that, go back and watch it. It's on, I believe it's on Netflix. Yep. She said it's on Netflix. Um, and hopefully we can, uh, Emily will have you back. We can chit chat about season two. So, uh, once again, Emily Lee, find her at S at not Saturday night live people, S L N law.com. I'm mildly dyslexic. So I'm glad you, you mentioned that because, um, that's, that's, you know, it happens, right? (laughs) Did you have fun, Emily? I sure did. Thank you. Uh, so please uh, find Emily on the web. Find her on LinkedIn and all those places. She's a great person to know. Located uh, Her office located in uh, the lovely confines of Sharon Center, right next to the cafe that used to be a Starbucks, right? Actually, we moved. Oh, you moved. Oh, that's breaking we're still, news. We're still in the center, Sharon. Oh, well, <laughs> well then you're still... Okay, so you're we're not... down the block. Down the block. Okay, so not right next to the Angels Cafe. Shout out Angels Cafe. Not a sponsor of the show yet. You know who is a sponsor? So the United States Postal Service. Thank you so much to the U.S. Postal Service for sponsoring the show. Go to usps.com slash careers uh, to check that out. Pod617.com if you want your own podcast. And if you like this podcast, do me a solid, kids, and share it with a friend or a colleague. For Emily Smith-Lee, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. If you're not from Boston... You must be the other guy. You must be the other guy. <laughs>